A man. A man stands alone at a plate. This is the time for what? For individual achievement. Welcome back to the Pool Hitter Podcast, episode 17. Today, my guest will be Ryan Bloomfield from Baseball HQ. Ryan is a writer and social media director for Baseball HQ, as well as the associate editor of the Baseball Forecaster, which is the annual publication that Baseball HQ puts out every year to help you dominate your fantasy baseball leagues. It's in something that's been in my toolbox for almost 10 years now. And ever since I got introduced to the Baseball Forecaster and BaseballHQ.com, my love for fantasy baseball has skyrocketed and my ability to be able to compete and to translate what the stats and the underlying stats are telling me about a player took it to the next level for me. And it's uh, really been something I always go to in terms of any type of reference I need to the website or to the forecaster. They have a bunch of excellent writers. They've been doing this for years. They constantly set the bar in fantasy as to um, the trends in the leagues and what to be looking for and underlying statistics. I'll also get to talk to Ryan about some roster building techniques that I learned to do through the readings of BaseballHQ.com and in the Baseball Forecaster. And we'll go over some play performances from this year and what we can expect going forward. Um, it's a great episode, truly informative. Anything that Ryan puts out is definitely something you want to grab a hold of and digest. So without further ado, we'll get into the episode right now. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All righty, guys. Welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast. Today, I'm with Mr. Ryan Broomfield of Baseball HQ. He is a writer there and social media director as well. And he also is the associate editor of the Baseball Forecasters. So, Ryan, welcome to my show. Thank you for sharing some time with me. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Rob. Thanks for having me on. And I know we were chatting before, but it's it's awesome to to kind of see you take this podcast to, to new heights after I know we interacted a lot, uh, even before 2020, um, as a subscriber to HQ and all that stuff. So it's awesome to kind of see you take this to new places, new heights and congrats on that, uh, draft champions win too. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. The root of it is the forecaster all day. <laughs> so it's a team win, man. Team win. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, so I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, I we've been. Um, I feel like I've been talking to you 
during the subscriber um, forums at HQ, even though you can't hear me. I know during all those forums, I peppered you guys with a whole bunch of questions and uh, I'll never forget like where, like we were in um, the, the forum when mm -hmm. it stopped, when Gobeer got the uh, positive test and, you know, I just, everything stopped after that. And I, like it happened during the forum and I'll never forget that, you know, that's like a lifelong memory. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, because that was literally the night Gobert tested positive, and yeah, we were running the first pitch forum online, and yeah, I'll always remember this too, and so we were preoccupied, like I wasn't on Twitter kind of looking and seeing what was going on, so after like an hour, hour and a half in the forum, we opened it up for Q&A, and someone asked, with the NBA suspended, what do you think of, and we're like, what? <laughs> right. And uh, it was just, and then, yeah, everything kind of snowballed from there. It's uh, crazy to believe that, or crazy to think that was just earlier this year, but. I know, but again, thank you guys for like keeping it, you know, you kept at it. You guys pumped out a whole bunch of stuff for, for when it might've been 180 and 60. So um, again, you guys put in a whole bunch of work and I know that you're hard at work right now um, with a whole bunch of stuff in your personal life and also the baseball forecast, they're getting that ready. So uh, yep. I wanted to learn a little bit about the process of what, you know, what goes into making that puppy. Yeah, for sure. Um, might be might be a long-winded answer a little bit because a, a ton of work goes into this thing right now. So we're recording what like the seventeenth of October. So right now we are kind of waist deep, maybe neck deep in uh, writing up the player box commentaries, which is kind of like the you know the bread and butter of the forecaster. Basically, any fantasy relevant player for the following year gets a gets a box we call them and and they in that box is stats and skills for the previous five years and then we write up try and cram in probably 55 ish words on their outlook for the following season um, it's a ton of fun but it's it's a ton of work and it's a sprint right now because we're, we're aiming to get the thing out as we do every year uh, by Thanksgiving and get, and get that in folks hands so um, yeah I mean just real quick like the process that goes into the forecaster I mean we typically start this thing really in the late summer uh, the previous year where we just start looking at uh, any kind of design changes we want to make to the book, any new metrics we want to incorporate. This is the 35th annual edition of the Forecaster, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, started by Ron Chandler 35 years ago, which is how old I am. And, and Ron ran the show for by himself, essentially, at the beginning. And uh, I, I kind of got on there the last few years. But, uh, but yeah, so the process essentially starts late summer and trying to think about design and what we want to incorporate just because we want to keep this thing fresh, even though it's been around for so long. Uh, we're, we're trying to push that envelope. Um, September rolls around. I start organizing kind of my part is uh, organizing research abstracts, we call it. So every year we put in, trying to get like probably 10-ish um, research pieces to put into the forecaster in addition to kind of those player boxes. So we've got some cool stuff lined up this year, ex expected stolen bases, uh, quality of batted ball, which looks at kind of your stat cast, exit velo, um, launch angle and launch angle tightness, expected walk rate, those kinds of things that we're, that we're putting into boxes. Uh, but we also want to inform readers of what the heck those metrics actually are. <laughs> uh, so we, we back that up with some research and then pretty much starting uh, the week after the season ends, we get started on the player boxes. So we need to, um, you know, give some time for the final stats to um, 
to finish up at the end of the year. And then we have about a week where we, we kind of build the stats into our boxes. And then almost all of October is just player box write-ups. Um, there's a team of, I want to say maybe 10 to 12 of us that at HQ that, um, that, that kind of share the responsibilities for writing up every single player. We've got a whole organizational structure. So for instance, right now I'm working with uh, Brian Rudd and Brant Chesser at HQ and they, they're awesome to work with editing their stuff and kind of going back and forth with them to uh, pack the most punch into that 55 word capsule. It's, it's a lot harder than you think to kind of get everything in there and, uh, and, and keep it succinct and interesting. So um, that's what we're in the middle of right now. We're doing the pitcher boxes. Actually, we, we just went back and forth on AJ Minter last night with Brian Rudd, who and I kind of dating the podcast a little bit, but uh, Minter threw looked amazing last night and threw three innings um, to start for Atlanta before they uh, before they went down. But anyway, um, player boxes through October and then November. Brent Hershey and Ray Murphy, who are the two. Uh, main editors and run baseball HQ they kind of glue that whole book together in November and then we do final proofs where we essentially read through the whole dang thing all 200 ish pages of it in November and make sure there's nothing off with page numbers or typos or any of that stuff goes to the printer mid-November and PDF uh, on Thanksgiving and that is one of my favorite days of the year just because uh, you know online on Twitter and whatnot everyone kind of posts you know, that they got the forecaster and fantasy baseball season starts now and, and that kind of stuff. So it's really cool to kind of see the, the fruits of this process come through um, Thanksgiving. And then uh, we actually ship it out early December after that. So that's kind of the, the long answer process of how it works. But, but it's, it's a ton of fun, great group to work with. And I, I think a really good product at the end of the day. Man, that, absolutely. That's, that's, that's awesome rundown right there. That's really, truly, um, uh, it's it's wonderful how you guys just put it all together, and it's amazing how you get fifty five words in those little boxes. And honestly, it it would it would seem like way more people work on it than what you described. So it's pretty it's pretty amazing. You guys are doing a heck of a job. It is it it is the best day for Thanksgiving. You know, it's just when you uh, that's it when that, that's when the official prep starts for me. I'm looking at stuff constantly, but that's when. I feel like it is. Yeah, it's on after the forecaster comes out. Absolutely. And I like um, how you mentioned the, the write-ups in the beginning of the book to, you know, when you're trying to um, show what, why a new stat may be relevant toward the game. I think it's crucial to, um, it's like my favorite part of the book because it's really when I decide like how much I want to um, use a specific metric toward my evaluation. And I'm totally excited to, uh, to read more into the quality um, uh, uh, bat metric, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, the quality of batted ball. Yes, yeah. So yes. it's and it's it's Too tricky bad. because yeah, like the reason I say like we start that in summer is there's just so much good information out there, especially like really the last few years. You look on social media and and the the information that people are pumping out there. It's it's incredible how much. Um, quality research and quality thought goes into our industry. And so we really try and take the time to kind of filter um, and make sure we're putting in the right metrics to explain the right things and also making it readable for kind of the common reader, because it's, it's so easy to, 
you can almost make a case for and against every single player by looking at, you know, the hundred different metrics that are available out there. So we try and, uh, we try and kind of consolidate that a little bit, explain what each metric is and, and use that for our outlook. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. Again, cheers to you guys. And like you said, there, there is so, so much fascinating work out there. So you got to be constantly, sure. uh, yeah, yeah. It, you can get lost every day. You could just get lost in the amount of good content out there, but it all, it all makes us better. You know, it all drives us to put out a better product and to be a better player, find our own research tools. That's good, man. Awesome. I can't, I can't wait to read that. So how did your, um, how did your teams do this year? How do you fare in the short season? Yeah. You know, not as good as you, Rob, you know, <laughs> no, uh, no 30 K 30 K check coming my way or anything like that. Um, Boomer bust really for me this year. I had, uh, and I'm in the mixed labor league, which I was in first heading into the last day. And then uh, Fred Zinke kind of rightfully took the title back on, on that Sunday of the last, uh, last day of the year. Uh, finished second in TGFBI, second straight, uh, second place finish in top 20 overall. So those were good. Uh, some of the busts I had, Tout Wars was a, was a disaster for me. Finished an, an embarrassingly um, dead last 12th, 12th out of 12 in AL tout. Um, just had some things not go my way. We, we auctioned before the shutdown in in an AL, a 12 team AL only league. If you start losing guys, um, there's pretty much nothing on the waiver wire for that, uh, deep of a league. So that, that I need to improve upon. And then some of the mains, um, the main I did that didn't cash in that was able to kind of bounce back a little bit and and build up the bankroll through draft champions. Uh, so I'll be back in it again next year. But uh, Boomer Bus, second place in Labor TGFBI, last in Tau, and middle of the pack in Maine. So like most years, good and bad. Right, right. It's a, yeah, of course, you're going to have that. You need that to keep you honest. You can't win everything. So you said you lost it on the last day of the season? I did. I did. It was actually, I, I would have, I told Fred this, um, I, I would have felt horrible taking it from him. Fred, Fred Zinke was, who's a great player. He won towers and labor this year, um, was in first place for pretty much the whole season. Uh, I caught up to him a little bit kind of midway through then fell back and then made a huge run the final week and was in first on that last day. And, uh, uh, he had the better team. He he actually drafted his first round pick was Verlander um, and got nothing from him. Again, we draft labor back in early February. I uh, got nothing from Verlander and, and still put together a, a pretty wild pitching staff. So kudos to Fred for doing that. Um, try not to get too worked up about losing on the last day, but that's, uh, that's why we play the game. It's fun, especially that last day when every game is at the same time. It's uh, it, it's, it's fun. Right. I, and I, I was, you know, I was speaking to, um, a bunch of other people on the last podcast about this, how it was uh, the race down at the end and most of my leagues were uh, a lot more condensed and there was a lot more um, mm-hmm. action. Um, fab was harder in the last couple of weeks than it normally was. And um, it was just good to have it like that in, in that crunch time and not just like in the beginning of the year. And it's like, you know, I was thinking about Chandler Park and, you know, the one month. Uh, Come on, you know, yep. Yeah, because um, it, it's really like I, I'm fascinated to know, like, if it would be like, gain a lot more traction now that because um, I think having that um, competition down at the end when you're not just bidding against two or three guys, you're bidding now we're bidding against six or seven people just looking to make, you know, there was real um, uh spots to gain and so people were playing to the end and uh it was just a lot better i think it made me a a ton better and every league i had 
It was definitely a, yeah, it was definitely a different season. Obviously some frustrating times with COVID and people being out and opting out and all that kind of stuff, but just uh, happy we even had a season. And also, right. I mean, not to get too far off, but kudos to the players, families, front office for making it through the season and staying relatively COVID free, especially at the end. I mean, we've got a pretty crazy streak. I know they're in a bubble now in the postseason, uh, but just kept telling myself, be thankful we actually have a season and then and we got through it but you're right Rob like it was just a, a totally different feel to it this year and probably did make um, a lot of players better in terms of you know a lot of the preseason narrative was like you know every stat is going to count so much in a 60 game season and that, and that played out there were leagues won and lost by hits runs batted in runs you know it came down to the last day and you know, it'll be interesting. We'll see. I'm glad you bring that up. Like, will there be a market again? You mentioned Chandler Park. So that was a game that Ron Chandler created probably, what, six, eight years ago? I think it was 2014, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was essentially a monthly game. You would draft that for that month and play out the month. And then a new month, you would redraft a new team and, and go for it that way. Super Super great concept. Uh, even Ron would say kind of the timing was off a little bit with it, but that did kind of come back to fruition with the 60-game season um, because it totally changed how you manage fab, how patient you are with some of your hot starters and, and, and hot or uh, cold starters, really, how patient you are before you kind of cut the cord on a, like Christian Yelich, who was on a lot of my teams. <laughs> You've done a lot of everybody's things. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I mean, I think that would be cool. I think even even if there was a format where you could actually keep your team, but you just reset the stand-ins after, you know, like the instead of, redra yeah, instead of redrafting, um, you just keep the same team. It's just different standing every month or two months or whatever. But, yeah, I think there was uh, – it was a crazy season. And you're right, amen to everyone for doing – a phenomenal job like there's we only see the players and the umps and the coaches but there's so much more behind that that you know everyone contributed to you know make sure that you know we watched some baseball this year and it was it was huge it was good for our, it was good for our soul it was good for our health you know to have that and um i always think about this like i was there's the, the like what the players went through and had to you know go through and you see them just override that and just go and perform on the field and it was pretty cool i'm always thinking about that like what you know we only see the physical sides but we already talk yep. about what they're going through mentally you know so yep and those yeah and that, that, that's going to be <laughs> not to get too far ahead but that's going to be a big part of 2021 player evaluation like what's going on behind the scenes with some of these guys in 2020 who uh who who didn't perform so right right anyway. it's almost like we need um everyone to be like bauer and track their movements so we know like <laughs> is this guy really like putting in the work like what are they doing <laughs> yeah we don't, we don't need too many people to be like bauer but no, uh, not but too yeah, many yeah. but you know what i mean just like <laughs> the, uh, yeah just uh we need more info we always want yep. more info <laughs> absolutely oh, yeah so i wanted to talk about um the uh the mayberry method um which is uh something that i learned about probably actually a, a funny story for before we get into that how i first learned about the forecaster it's funny how things happen in life and i was working with a, a guy at work and um just talking about fantasy and he's like and he's just one of those guys he butchers names he's just like hey you read chandler and i'm like 
what, who's Chandler? And he's like, yeah, yeah, he's got this book. It's this book. It's this big book. And he kept telling me. I'm like, all right. And he kept saying his name wrong. And I, you know, I'm like, are you talking about Ron Chandler? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever read the book? And I'm like, actually, no, I never got it. And he gave me the one that he had at home. He's like, yeah, just, just take this and read it. And I was like, I think that was 2011. That's the first time I, okay. I, I was like, yeah. wow. I'm like, this this is, this is fascinating. You know, this is uh why wasn't I getting, you know, all this information prior. It was just, um, and that's when I think my love for fantasy just totally elevated and um, totally changed the way I approached the game and learning the uh, Mayberry method that you guys um, lay out. And um, so can you uh, explain that a little bit and what you guys do to determine um, how the players are ranked or asseted in, in tiers? Sure. Yeah. So, so the, the Mayberry method is, uh, so it was created by Ron Chandler, of course, like, like many of the things that started and, and got HQ going. Um, the general premise behind it is we spend all this time making projections or using draft lists based off of projections and, and projecting a player to hit, you know, 30 home runs versus 32 home runs and, and spending all this time on things that, are just inherently imprecise. Um, and that's been proven over time. Like the best projection systems out there, you know, are right maybe 65% of the time in terms of accuracy. And we can keep getting better and we can keep improving and, and edge that up just a little bit. Uh, but there's a certain point where you're just spending your time on projecting things that are so minute and so precise that it almost kind of doesn't matter. So the, the, the theory of Mayberry method is to embrace that imprecision. So instead of, for example, spending 20 minutes rating, you know, trying to see if, uh, you know, win factors are going to change someone from, from 30 homers to 32 homers, um, just take a general rating of their skill. Okay. So you can use and 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 for HQ, we rate, in Mayberry one through five on skill for each category. So for power, someone who is like a 30 home run ish hitter, knowing there's going to be, you know, a range of outcomes around 30 home runs, we're going to rate him a three or four in power skill. And so you can essentially build a quick profile and Mayberry method does that. You get a rating for power, a rating for, um, speed, a rating for batting average, and playing time. So it's just a four-digit number. You can take a look at, uh, for example, maybe some of the guys will talk about like a Ronald Acuna is a 5-4-3. Okay, a 5 in power, a 4 in speed, a 3 in batting average. And we have the skills that kind of build those ratings into buckets. But you can just kind of take a general look at that player, see their kind of little three- or four-digit code, and get a general feel for um, their skill in each category. And so we do that for pitchers as well. I think the, the, the real beauty of it is you can group together players. And so you can take like a 5-4-3 like in Acuna. Um, is there somebody later in the draft at a lower ADP that has that same 5-4-3 score. And for whatever reason, they're going cheaper. Either they are, you know, a younger player who doesn't have the track record of an Acuna, somebody who's been injured in the past few years and just hasn't racked up that playing time. But you can use those kind of player groupings, group, group similar skilled players together, check that ADP and get essentially the same stats or the same skills later in the draft. And that's, that's the general premise of, of Mayberry. And that's what I use really to build my, um, you know, my, 
not my projections, but my uh, draft sheets essentially is taking that imprecise look at player skills, grouping them in buckets, embracing that imprecision and finding those uh, similarly skilled guys later in drafts. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. I, I love that approach. I've used it. Like I said, as soon as I read about it, I've, I've used it. And um, I feel like from there, then, whatever I want to dig into even more, you know, then you can go further into that player evaluation. But I, like you said, for yep. me, I, I always found like I saved a ton of time instead of leading up to that result by cramming over, um, you know, uh, 15 power metrics, you know, just boom, boom, asset them and then say, okay, why did this player, what separates this player within that bucket, especially like you mentioned with the ADP, I, I feel like that's, then you can spend more time on leveraging that market, really trying to see, like you said, where can I get this skill um, later in the draft at a, at a better cost and yep. maybe taking different, um, more, um, you know, uh, assets that are more, prioritized up top and um it's i found it so crucial to really just identify real quick especially during the draft like when you're just um mm -hmm. you know when you're on the clock and you could just boom you could bring up a group of players and you could say all right well i can get this guy later and or this profile later and it it's really helped me i think become a better drafter that way 100%. The other thing too that I'll, yeah, for sure, Rob. And the other thing too that I'll add is it kind of gives you, so we have a finite amount of time, right? Like right. how much time do you want to spend projecting somebody's actual skills, which there's tons of projection systems out there and that sort of thing. Um, the other kind of piece to this is that it, by, by grouping these guys into kind of just general skill buckets, um, projections are imprecise anyway, so you're not really losing much accuracy, I don't feel. But then you have time to free up to look at, which is something that, you know, you had Dave McDonald on a couple episodes ago in risk management and really focusing on risk for each player. That's not something that like a projection system is going to pick up a lot of times. So you can project those skills and get those kind of skill ratings in, in general buckets. But then on top of that, you can add risk factors to each player and really kind of get a feel for who you should be taking early in drafts. If there is like similarly group put players and somebody is going at a very early ADP, um, if there's minimal to no risk there, maybe that guy's worth it. Um, so building on risk management on, a t on top, that's kind of the next level. And Ron has taken that with his, uh, his BABS system. Yeah. And that's kind of the next level of Mayberry, but being able to kind of take the skills and skills analysis with the market price and then double that up with a risk assessment of each player. I think that's really where, and as an industry, we, we need to spend more time on is looking at that risk side of the coin and not just um, projections. Right. Absolutely. I dove into the Babs too. You know, I, I, that just, it's really, it's really awesome. Like he said, he took the next level with, you know, the, um, the risk assessment because he had the ledger. You could just keep track mm -hmm. of, of your assets and your liabilities and you just instantly, you know, have a quick snapshot of your team and embraced in, like you said, that like the, the inaccurate projections and, um, you know, skills are pretty volatile too, but I think they're a little less volatile than the stats. So, and that's just what I feel comfortable personally doing. You know, I had Phil do so on yesterday and he, he has his model and that's how he gets to that 
And God bless them because I, you know, like I don't have the time or the like, you know, skills to do that. And um, few, few people on earth have these skills to do that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> He's I amazing. Know. No, yeah. God bless him. And like I said, yep. and that's why I'm fascinated to talk to different people about how they get to the, you know, because we can get to the same um, evaluation on a player and say, oh, this guy, yeah, this guy is targeted, you know, let's target this guy and get say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm targeting him too. But we go about there, you know, several different uh, yep. ways and um i love that i just love talking to people who you know who play it differently and it's like you know it really makes you better and um yeah like i said i i, I just like the simple um boom boom like you said the the skills are in buckets and then you could just pick it apart from there and i think it saved me a ton of time to to, to focus on um playing time uh batting order uh stuff like that that really has an influence on you know the player's rating as well Absolutely. Yeah. So I have a couple of guys here um, and, you know, we'll talk about who are, who, who are group, you know, uh, clustered in skills for this year for the 2020 skills. And the first two guys they bring up is uh, Yastrzemski and Teoscar Hernandez and how much profit they provided for us in 2020. And um, what do you see from their profile that think that maybe they can keep this up or, you know, or maybe not? Yeah. Um, so those guys have similar type skills in terms of, so, and, and speaking in Mayberry talk, five, four threes. So great power, at least from the, from the skills of four and speed, uh, which is really good, especially in today's game. And then a three in batting average, a little bit lower batting average for like a Teoscar because of the kind of the contact rate. Uh, but what you see in those guys, is especially like a Teoscar. And I know we've gotten questions, uh, listener questions on like a Randy or Rosarina who actually is a pretty similar profile, I think, right. Right. to Teoscar. Kind of a, a lower contact but um, and lower batting average floor, but essentially kind of elite power and, and, and speed to throw on top of it. So that's kind of – that's a perfect example of, especially with like Yastrzemski. I, I don't know if I totally buy the foreign speed for Yastrzemski. He needs to run a little bit more. Um, admittedly, stolen bases is, I think, the hardest to project. And I touched on that kind of the expected stolen bases we're working on the forecaster this year. So much of it is is team dependent. Like Yastrzemski actually – is pretty fast and can run, but just did not run under Gabe Kapler in San Francisco. So um, speed's kind of the hardest one to kind of pin down. But but yeah, those guys is from a raw skill standpoint. If Yastrzemski gets a gets a green light, um, he could put up a, a Teoscar Hernandez type season. And I'm guessing that Yastrzemski will have be a fraction of the ADP. So um, He's at like a 110 ADP in the two early mocks, and Teoscar is 63. So you're getting a couple round discount for it looks like uh, similar type playing skills. Right, right, and that's exactly um, what we're trying to identify. Like you know, getting uh, a 50 or 60 round pick difference for maybe you know um, a similar profile. So the next yep. two guys I've written down for so. Um, Five for five power skill, four speed skill, and um, three average skill is Acuna and Buxton. They're grouped together this year, and I want to know if you think Buxton has shown his full package yet. Ah, uh, that's the million dollar question. That guy has burned almost everybody. <laughs> um, but you look at so Buxton, like, and, and everyone loves to rag on the history injury. He's been hurt 
each of the last four seasons and missed significant time in each of the last four seasons, but that is reflected in his price. So to go back to kind of risk management, obviously Acuna, very little risk, right? Like there's not many red flags there and that's why he's going where he is. Whereas Buxton, there is a ton of injury risk. Um, The interesting thing that I'll note with Buxton, and it's funny, Rob, you brought that up because I did not expect to see Buxton's power uh, skill in Mayberry to be, even remotely close to Acuna. Um, but the power rate, the fly ball rate went up, 50% fly ball rate in 2020, hit 13 home runs with some pretty pretty significant uh, boost in power skills. So Buxton, we all know, can fly. He's one of the fastest guys in the game, so we know the speed's going to be there. Um, he is starting to put together a little bit of power package with that and got 130 at-bats in 2020. So, yes, um, similar type skills. It's just Buxton is so much... Uh, going so much later in drafts because of that risk profile and not to say Buxton's the wrong pick it's when you're building your team and you take Buxton you need to pair that with less risky guys at the beginning of your draft and so it's a give and take especially in some of these you know like draft champions or main event there's 15 team leagues like every team's going to have holes you need to when you're building out your roster Think about where you want to take the risks and which guys you want to take the risks in and when you want to take those risks because you are going to accept some risk in your draft. It's just when you want to do it. And so Buxton, um, I've never actually owned him, I don't think, uh, but I will look pretty hard at him in 2021 because he did stay mostly healthy. He had a little bit of a shoulder issue in 2020, but, uh, but contact rate looks good and the power, like I said, uh, really uptick with the fly ball rate and he can fly still. And he's still only what 26 years old 26, so. yeah 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 i have to agree there like the power caught me by surprise it looks pretty yep. legit and he could still fly so yeah that pa- um that that risk profile like you said i think that's like the number one thing i tell like anyone getting into fantasy and starting like you know how should i draft and i said you, you know you have to know when you want to take your risk you 100 percent nail that and you you know you you try to target that guy. And like you said, you build up to it and make sure you have a stable of guys who are going to play every day. And if you get that, you know, 550 plate appearances from bucks in, then boom, you know, then it's gravy. You have a stable, stable um, core of players and then adding his, you know, possible league winning uh, profile there. So mm-hmm. I, I'm going to give you some other guys now right here. Um, so power five speed uh, three and a batting average profile of five. And I'll go with Freddie Freeman, Juan Soto, Jose Ramirez, Will Myers. <laughs> <laughs> Insane. 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 Yeah. You see that five three five and and we're trained to know that's great power, some speed, um, and, and great batting average. Will Myers case, like, yeah. Um did not expect him to be on there. However, you look at the skills and he did some Big time things it took that batting average up from 239 in 2019. I mean, he's a career 250 hitter, hit 288 last year. And you dive a little bit deeper into why we're giving him a five for for batting average for 2020 and skill. Um, had an acceptable contact rate, pretty much league average. He's always had an above average BABIP, and that's why he's hitting he's hitting a ton of line drives as well. So the batted ball profile is there. He's cut down on the strikeouts. I think there's more batting average upside than. Um, than you would think. Now to the Freddie Freeman level, I don't think so. Like, <laughs> so Mayberry does go to an Anna Juan Soto. Um, Freeman or Mayberry method is capped at five, but like 
I do think, and I actually kind of do this in my own ratings. I do give guys who are like a 320, 330 type hitter, like a Freeman or Soto, I give them a six just because like they're so, so elite in batting average that um, I'm willing to push that envelope or like a Trey Turner and steals. There are some cases where I'll go even above a five and give somebody a six, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's super interesting to see Will Myers group with those guys. The reason Will Myers was going so late in drafts um, in 2020 at a 236 ADP um, is that injury history. But again, risk management, embrace risk at certain parts of the draft. I'm willing to kind of take somebody who has the pedigree of a Myers, who has the previous production of a Will Myers. He's just going late in drafts because he's hurt. And, um, you know, at a 200 plus ADP, it's not the end of the world if it doesn't work out. But if it does, like it did in 2020, um, those are the type of league winning picks that if you, if you compile enough of those type of guys, you're going to be at or near the top of your standings at the end of the year. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree. He's, uh, and I, I, I agree with you with the adding the extra um, skill in there. Um, when I do the Mayberry and the, even Babs, you know, uh, Ron has it I mean, like extreme power. And um, I, if, if I feel like a guy is trending to be a little more then I'll just boost it up a little bit too and yeah. um, adjust to the total. Yeah, absolutely. I do think there is for just a select guys, there's that extreme, extreme type of skill. And uh, yeah, Soto Freeman, man. They can hit. They can hit. Soto is uh, amazing. Uh, it's, yep. just good. it's just fun to watch. Even Freeman right now just smoking the ball. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so we have um, a power pro- um, profile here, uh, five power, zero speed, five average. And um, the playing time was a little different for Dom Smith and Voight and Marcelo Zuna, but they had a similar profile as well as Jared Walsh. I just realized he was mixed mm-hmm. into that too. Um, so tell me what you see from these guys. Yeah. So 505 is essentially, like you said, elite power, no speed. So, you know, you need to build that and take that into account when you're building your team, but five batting average. I mean, so those are the guys, those four category studs essentially um, group those types of skills together and see where the ADP falls. And yeah, like a Dom Smith, um, I was actually big on uh, uh, Yoenis Cespedes before the season. Mm-hmm. And when he, I don't want to say went down when he, what just disappeared, disappeared, <laughs> yeah, opted out without telling anybody or whatever the story is. Um, I was all over Dom Smith because the playing time was then there because Dom Smith had that similar type of skill that 505 um but got ding big time in adp because of playing time but um like we say playing time is just one piece and if that changes it's the hardest thing to project out of any um kind of category in, in in fantasy when that changes those skills can really shine through so dom smith looked uh, pretty legit and yeah like uh, luke voigt i mean 505 we're, we're saying that the power skill is legit we're saying that the batting average skill is legit. The thing with Voight is when you're looking at risk management is really just the track record. So he was, he was pretty damn good in 2019 and really good in 2020. How much of that um, are you willing to buy into versus the overall track record of, you know, before 2019? And that's kind of the, the rub with Voight. But um, if you want him, if you believe in 2020 skills, he's going out of 45 ADP. If you get that type of, 2020 production in the end of the third round again you are very happy to uh to have luke void absolutely yeah i 
think he was a guy that um, I was targeting, you know, at that lower, um, I think around the 180, 200 when the draft started um, yep. with like him and Crone and, uh, yep. or Cron, I don't yeah. know. Which way is it, Crone? It's Crone, yeah. Crone. He was, he was, for me, preseason, CJ Crone was like the poster boy for Mayberry because he <laughs> had like the same skills as like, uh, there was, I remember there was that tier of like a Rizzo, Goldschmidt, Abreu kind of tier. And then uh, those, those guys were going, I don't know, fifth, sixth round. And CJ Crone had like the same exact skill ratings and was going super late. Excellent start to the season, then took that ground ball off the knee and that was it. So that, that, that hurts. I had him on a lot of teams. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people were excited for, um, you know, that, that profile and, yeah, he. I think he. He was. I remember even Babs. He was just grouped with a whole bunch of guys, and he was just so much lower um, in the ADP. And uh, it's yeah, he was one of those guys. I think I had a a, a ton of shares of um, going into the season, and because and I think because people ve- um I got beat to Voight most of the time, and so that was my next move was, you know, to go to Crone, uh, and uh, that wasn't the best option, but. What are you gonna do? Good, good, good process. Bad good outcome. process. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, um, two guys are grouped together um, from their skills to share is Mookie Betts and Kyle Tucker. So, tell me yep. about their. So, tell me about their profile um, and what you see from the young Tucker, and maybe can he be the next league winner type? Yeah, absolutely. So, Tucker and Betts with a four-five-four. That's excellent power, elite speed, and excellent batting average. Five categories. Same type of player. Mookie Betts is going to go probably, what, top five, maybe, depending on where pitchers go. Um, But a well-deserving top five pick. Kyle Tucker will not be top five um, because of that risk factor, right? And the risk and and Tucker's standpoint is not – I don't think really skills. Uh, The skills look elite. The prospect pedigree is elite. Um, It's really just track record. Um, So there is some experience risk, I will say, with Kyle Tucker. Um, But something I've noticed, especially like in recent seasons, the learning curve to major league pitching just seems so much shorter than it used to be. And maybe I'm just cherry picking things, but um, you look at like a Luis Robert this year, you look at an Acuna who was being drafted almost, you know, top hundred pick before he ever played a game um, in the majors a couple years ago, coming through and making impact immediately. I think Tucker is one of those guys. He's just been jerked around so much by Houston that he hasn't really been given the opportunity until, uh, until later in the season and it didn't take much for Tucker to, to kind of see that through. So Tucker is a league winning type of pick. He's going third round. So that's the price you're going to have to pay for him. Um, you know, that, that, that price takes in to account the experience risk. So if you're right. willing to do that and you think those skills are going to shine through, um, I think Tucker's a fine choice. I think he's going to play every day. He can, he's shown he, at least in a small sample that he's not a liability against lefties, uh, everything is in place for Kyle Tucker to put up a Mookie Betts type season. Um, if that learning curve is, is shorter than, uh, than a lot of people think. Absolutely. And um, I think it's well within the range. And like we're talking about em- embrace the imposition, like, um, you know, Mookie Betts can hit 35 homers. He can probably, like if he hit 28, you wouldn't be surprised. And Tucker can definitely hit 25 and would, you wouldn't be surprised if he had 35 either. So I think that's yep. what the, you know, what I really like about the system is how, you know, it fluctuates 
enough to where we can't accurately know, you know, how much it will. And when you have those skills that are pretty similar, then, you know, that's where you grab, grab the, uh, grab the asset. And I, I'm just really impressed with Tucker this year His even like his, uh, his contact rate was impressive. His, his strikeout and walk rate were, you know, pretty league average, if not better. And, um, he hit the ball through all fields. Um, he, he was good with runners on, uh, and this, and like you said, the, the prospect pedigree, you know, I think because we get burned so much with guys who don't live up to it, that when someone shows the profile, like we're expecting, we're also a little hesitant to really buy in, you know, it's like, yep. ah, I don't know, like, you know, and like you said, that's the only risk is the experience is he's not into the, you know, enough plate appearances for us to say concrete, yeah, these are his skills, but some people, you know, don't need that many, right, to really show it. Um, so I'm excited for him going forward. Exactly. And actually, so while we're while we're on this kind of comparison, I, I looked up a guy who very similar skills as a Kyle Tucker and Mookie Betts in 2020 that is going not even not wasn't even drafted. Robbie Grossman in Oakland. Um, so Robbie Grossman in Oakland hit 240 this year. Not great. HQ has an expected batting average of 272. So um, a lot of batting average growth. Stole eight bases and hit eight homers. So you've got that five category production. The guy's 30. Like yeah, in terms of risk factor, you know the track record is there for Robbie Grossman, and it's not good. Um, but he's going to go cheap. And if you buy those kind of skill buckets on a similar type player, and I'm not saying Robbie Grossman's as good as Kyle Tucker or Mookie Betts um, because he's not. But if you get those similar type skills later in a draft, I mean, that's, a, that's the kind of guy that you can just take a flyer on if it doesn't work out, you know, whatever. But he's a 4-4-4 in Mayberry, which is excellent power, speed, and batting average across the board. So I just right, thought I that was it. Right, I see that right now. He's, he's right next to Harper, right? Yep, and Harper, yeah. yep, Bryce Harper was right there too. So, right. yeah, yeah, I mean, you can make these comps all day. It's, it's just super interesting to see when you, when you embrace that imprecision, when you put them into buckets, seeing which players kind of look the same from a skill standpoint uh, when you remove the names. Wow, yeah, I love that. I really love, and, you know, not to get too off track here too, but now I'm seeing below in that next one is Dansby Swanson with Reed Hoskins that that's not a, a pair a pairing I, th- I was expecting but that's interesting yeah, yeah. so um the next two guys that had uh actually had um Corey Seager Wilmer Flores and Dante um Dante Bichette yeah him too <laughs> <laughs> Don't your age right yeah seriously oh my god uh I would love to have been drafting during those Colorado uh juicy yeah but uh so tell me about those um, those three guys right there, those bucket of players. Yeah, um, I'm not buying in as much on the skill ratings for like a Wilmer. Um, I mean, he only, you know, probably look at that again. It's more just like his raw sprint speed, but he doesn't run. So um, I don't think Wilmer Flores, you know, he <laughs> – We've been sleeping on him on, at HQ forever now, and uh, he did kind of break out in 2020. But I don't think he has the uh, the, the speed anywhere remotely to like a Bobachet. Out of those three, I think Bobachet's probably the um, probably the best of the three, and will get drafted the highest. But uh, but and it, just a kind of a retrospective in terms of. Um, risk like Corey Seager was super cheap in drafts but still had as Mayberry shows that elite level skill um, went cheap because he's essentially been out for a couple years and if you're willing to again risk assessment embrace that 
injury risk. He's still young. Uh, conceivably, he could still rebound, and he did in 2020 um, as you know, essentially kind of a post-hype breakout. Um, so those are the kinds of things like you'd look at a uh, Kyle. <laughs> We're all messing up names uh, this morning, but Corey Seager. Um, you see that the skill is still there. It's just uh, you know the injury risk was there as well, and he went he went past it. So. Um, Manny Machado and Lourdes Goriel are grouped together. Yep, interesting. super interesting. And yeah. and Machado, you're you are absolutely paying up for uh, next year. So Machado, what eighteen ADP in the two early mocks? So he's an early second round pick, where Guriel is ninety two. Okay, um, Guriel is also eligible at two spots shortstop and outfield that's super valuable but again Mayberry's saying based on the 2020 skills Guriel and Machado are almost identical from a skill standpoint Guriel's going 80 picks later he's going in the I'm not good at math but like seventh round for the same type of skills that Machado's going in the second round when Manny Machado three months ago was like a sixth round pick so um you know, maybe that says more on Machado's end than Guriel. I, I do think Machado's a little bit overpriced based on a, uh, based on two months from the small sample. But again, perfect example of similar skills going at totally different price points in the ADP. Right, absolutely. Um, and that's where that's where that's where I like to pounce. I like to live in that area of of getting that you know that big eighty difference in ADP and a and a similar skill set. Um, I know, like, um, put in the note about the extreme regression drafting that I learned about. Uh, it, uh, again, I think one of the first articles I read on on HQ, I think like 2012 or like right after I got the book and I started with my uh, subscription to baseballhq.com. And it was one of the first articles. That was, it was a really interesting approach to drafting, you know, that I never really thought about before, identifying guys who really have like risen and fallen in ADP from the previous year and, you know, yep. examining why and, you know, extracting some, you know, some players from that pool that can really, you know, help your team. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Like, and actually one of the things I've been thinking about doing, especially with 2020 being such a small season and that sort of thing, like just take your main event ADP from 2020 and draft based off of that and see what kind of team, like I might try that in a November, December draft champions draft, basically remove 2020, take that extreme regression drafting standpoint, which is almost just looking at guys and ignoring the most recent data point, looking at the broader track record instead um, and drafting based off of that. Um, I think that could be a super interesting exercise is to take that made of an ADP. Yeah. You want to filter out your injury guys, your closers, like a Verlander, you know, you're not going to pick someone um, like that, but basically take that ranking of what the main event uh, guys and girls had just two months ago, draft based on that for 2021 and see what you come out with. Like that's something I might try and just take a stab at. Maybe, maybe put something together article wise based on that, because um, this year more than ever extreme regression drafting is is going to play a role because the most data most recent data point is not 162 games it's just 60. right and there's a there's a ton of recency bias in the uh two early mocks um just taking a look at some of the uh you know guys it just pops out you know how much um mm -hmm. just 
you know, that really messes with you. And uh, obviously when we get closer to, you know, March and it might shake out a little bit, but, you know, um, is there anyone that you kind of saw in the early mock that screamed out to you like, like hell yeah, or like hell, hell no? I'm um, just looking at the top, kind of the hell knows. I talked about Machado earlier. Like, yep. I, I don't know how someone goes from a sixth round to a second round after, um, you know, after two months. Granted, Machado's case, like this was a second year of San Diego, probably a little bit more comfortable. Um, but yeah, still, uh, I think an overreaction early on. Other guys, like just interesting. Um, Nolan Arenado has totally fallen off the board. How much do we believe that a shoulder was behind his bad 2020. Um, that could be extreme regression drafting. On the other side, uh, you know, three months ago, Nolan Arenado was a, kind of a turn pick for a second round turn. Um, if we think that, you know, the shoulder drove down his production in 2020, is he the same guy that you're getting at a discount now? So um, other just interesting guys like a Trevor Bauer, you Darvish are going to go early, um, you know, first round maybe for Bauer probably second for Darvish like a little while ago, Trevor Bauer was a fifth or sixth round pick with that kind of crazy yo-yo in between seasons the mm -hmm. last few years. So nice. you are kind of, you are kind of buying in um, at his peak. So maybe, maybe he takes that and runs with it, but maybe he tinkers again and did what he did two years ago. Right. And I know, you know, Dave McDonald thinks he's going to, uh, you know, he's strong on the – he's going to start every three or four games uh, days and, and, and get so many more opportunities to pitch than the rest of the starting pitchers. That that would be interesting. I don't know where he goes. I think, you know, he's got a ton of options. To, I'm hoping he comes to the Mets, being a Mets fan. <laughs> I, hope the, I, hope the new, I hope the new owner just wants to make a splash and just signs a bunch of guys, even, even if they're the wrong bunch of guys. <laughs> I don't have a yeah, big uh, wish list. I'm just thinking like, you know, GTR, Springer – and Bauer, you know. That's all you need. Nothing nothing major. No. Nah. <laughs> so um so looking at the I just want to do a couple of quick um either wars for players group close um in the sure. early mocked ADP. So um I have Giolito who's going at an average ADP of twenty four and Scherzer twenty six. Who would you rather have between those two? Yeah, I'd go Giolito. We I just looked at Giolito's box in the forecaster and he pretty much validated the, tw the 2019 breakout and that 2019 breakout was already pretty valid I think because it did come with some more velocity and a new pitch mix and that sort of thing so there were tangible changes for Giolito um, and he validated that in 2020 I think he's a legit stud on the Scherzer side um, just from a risk standpoint you've got a guy who was pretty good last year uh, but I think is on kind of the downside of his career 30 I think age 36 season in 2021 with back issues like I I think there's a lot more room for Scherzer unfortunately to go down because he's one of my favorite pitchers to watch pitch but I, I'm taking Giolito over Scherzer yep me too got it I'm saying I'm I just re like did some digging on just pitching seasons over 35 and you know you you, you don't just keep being fantastic either you know and we don't know when exactly it'll completely fall off but I just I'm so hesitant to go, you know, that old, that, that early for a pitcher. Um, oh, so next we have in the ADP range of 49, Zach Gallen versus Kenta Maeda. Yeah, that's, that's really tricky. Uh, <laughs> um, with Maeda, I have long been a Maeda stan, um, especially with the Dodgers. Like, I think that they just jerked him around and Maeda finally got his chance to, to go with, 
uh, with Minnesota. So we'll see what happens. But I, I take I take Maeda over Gallon um, just because I love Maeda. Um, the the price is going to be high with him, but I think he's worth it. I think he's been as good as he is the last few seasons. He just didn't get the chance. Um, so I don't think in Maeda's case it's kind of a one year breakout. I think he's been this good for a long time and just finally got the opportunity. Absolutely, I totally agree with that take. Um, the next two guys I have uh, closed at ADP 98, uh, Dylan Bundy, ADP 102, Chris Paddock. Um, I'm going to go Bundy, but I kind of want to go neither. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and then that's actually great. You know, I was going to ask you like um, yes or no at this point, you know, at this price point for either one of them. Yeah, like Bundy, I mean, you did have the tangible change with fewer fastballs, new team, which so there are things there that, um, you know, that I kind of like. But you look at the end of the season with Bundy, velocity was was pretty far down. Um, right. which Good is, point. Which is, yeah, which is tricky. And, and again, just in general, even with kind of the pitch mix change and new team and that sort of thing, Dylan Bundy's never been this expensive before. Like just from a sheer probability standpoint, somebody who – has disappointed almost every year in his career. And it's like a six or seven year track record at this point. Um, finally breaks through. What are the chances? You know, there's two ways he can go. He can either kind of keep going or stay at his level or go back down. And I think regression is the most powerful force in fantasy right. baseball. 100%. And, um, and, and I think it's going to hit Bundy hard on the paddock side. Like I just, I need to see a third pitch from him. Um, you right. know, I love the, I love the, you know, the change up, the fastball's pretty good, but like, I, I need to see a third pitch. The skills haven't really been there. It's almost more you're buying the name Chris Paddock than the actual results. So I'm probably out um, on both of those guys. Right. And Paddock too had that low, like just low um, um, batter's pace per game, innings pitch per start. It just wasn't. And like you said, the third pitch not being there. And I think he is going off of name. It's just like the, the yeah. name bias, whatever that bias is called. It's totally uh, – and I just wanted to bring up our, our last pitcher to talk about is uh, our boy Joe Musgrove. You know, everybody uh, loves a little Joe Musgrove in their life. And I uh, wanted to see what you think about his prospects going forward. Um, I – Joe Musgrove, <laughs> man. So, like, the epitome <laughs> of Joe Musgrove was twenty twenty. Um this dude, you know, was hurt. So you draft him in the, what, 15th, 16th round and doesn't do much for you at all. Only made eight starts. Of those eight starts, he started out pretty bad. Gave up three earned runs, three earned runs, five earned runs in his first three starts, okay? And then his last three starts, he gives up four runs to Cincinnati on September 15th. And I think the first two innings looked absolutely terrible. I remember Scott Jenstad tweeted about this. Um, I'm done with Joe Musgrove, never yes. Joe Musgrove. <laughs> Joe Musgrove then rebounds mid-game in that Cincinnati start. And in his last three starts, puts up a 29 to 3 strikeout to walk ratio with tons of whiffs, higher fastball velocity. And here we are with Joe Musgrove again. Here we um, are. <laughs> so just like super frustrating guy. However, you know he could still come through for you. And that's why he's so maddening is like, I almost wish he just tanked the end of 2020 so I could be done with him, but no, he's got to go out and look like an ace in, uh, in September. Um, so the thing with Musgrove, like, I don't know, he, the industry loves to talk about him. And, and, and I think he gets talked about so much that people think the draft price is like, is really expensive. 
but it's never really been that expensive. Uh, right. Like I said, Musgrove last year was like a 15th, 16th round pick. Mm-hmm. For someone with that much hype, like if he burns you, it's not the end of the world. And even in the two early mocks, he's going 205. So it's not like, um, you know, we were just talking about a, a Bundy and a Paddock going like 120. Musgrove's going 80 picks later than that. So even though he gets talked about all the time, the draft price has always kind of been pretty palatable. And for that reason, I probably will go back in on Joe Musgrove again. There, there's, there are things there that say he can break out. Um, I'm fully aware that he could break my heart again, but, um, but he looked really, really good at the end of the season. And, uh, you know, there's that twinkle that he's, uh, that he can take that next step. Yeah, he really did uh, give you that late, you know, late season boost. I had him on that DC winning team, and he was. Um, mm-hmm. I got him. I think yeah, same thing you said, like around fifteen, sixteen, the two hundred, low two hundreds, and um, just the way to I had my staff built up to it prior. I was all over taking, you know, um, that that type of profile. And if he took the next step, it was just going to make my staff pretty solid. And when he came back and. Uh, you know, I remember Scott Jen's dad tweeting that, and I just remember messing with how I was gonna like. I would, I wanted to put him in there because I just wanted to. My my pitching stats were really um, solid at the time that, but I also didn't want to like lose any points, so I kept him in there. And then he had the two start week, I think, where he didn't have any wins, but right, but he 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 pitched. He he was just so on point, um, and just it just made my pitching stats just go to a next level. And I was like, Oh, Joey Musgrove, I'm yeah, on you again last, next year. Right. Yeah, I, love that, I mean, he won some leagues for people that last week, he actually did win his last start. So oh, he yeah, won the, his yeah, final week, right. a two star week, 21 strikeouts, no earned runs and a win. Like that's league changing stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yep. game season. So toast to Joe Musgrove, but, uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll be back in on him again. The price isn't too bad. You're right, 100%. I agree with that pricing. Um, I wanted to talk about why Bo Bichette is so much further ahead of Tim Anderson, um, what you think that um, is about and whether you think that's appropriate. And, you know, um, yeah. Yeah, Tim Anderson's always been kind of a kind of a lightning rod kind of guy. I, I think people just look at the BABIP and dismiss Tim Anderson. Right. Um, look at the BABIP and the walk rate. And I could go on a kind of a side thing on walk rate. Um, we At HQ, we have pretty much proven that walk rate has no correlation at all to batting average. So when I hear um, things like a low walk rate, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's good for prospects and plate discipline and for speed guys to get on base and that sort of thing. But it really has no effect on batting average at all. And I, I think Tim Anderson has been hurt by pretty bad walk rates. Um, and that's kind of depressed his, his price, his hype in the industry. Plus you tack on a BABIP of, he's got a career like 350 BABIP, but in the last two seasons, a 400 and a 390. Um, so I think Tim Anderson is perpetually undervalued. You get that five category production from him. Um, the contact skills are fine. He is, I think, a legitimate 300 hitter, um, despite the lack of walks and despite the elevated BABIP. But I think, he, I think that's something that he can hold um, for the long haul. He's got the speed to kind of leg out, um, leg out infield hits and keep that BABIP elevated. And then he runs, you know, he hasn't run as much in, in, in the last couple of years, but he's plenty successful on the base pass. When he does run, he's successful. So um, that's another kind of comp when you look at skill buckets. Tim Anderson and Boba Shedd are pretty similar, and Anderson's going uh, 
presumably will be going cheaper in drafts. I, I yeah. think just because that walk rate, people people get honed in on that thing, and and it's in five by five roto, it's not as uh, important. Interesting point. Interesting point. I'm going to segue into that question. I have to ask you later. I'll keep going with these guys real quick. But um, oh, oh, uh, who would you rather between Kyle Tucker or Marte? They're about 40 ADP right now in the two early mocks. Yeah, I love Starling Marte. I think he's been like a cheat code in recent years going second, third round and putting up borderline first round value in almost all those seasons from all five categories. Um, at a certain point, though, Marte is going to start slipping. He's getting that age where the speed can kind of fall off a little bit. Uh, Marte is actually, you know, not to go back to Tim Anderson, Tim, similar type guy, like pretty bad walk rate, elevated Babbitt, but just keeps producing. And I, I, again, I think that's I think that's why he's been undervalued um, a little bit. Uh, but I would take Kyle Tucker. I um, mean, we talked about Tucker before with that skill comp to Acuna, just without the MLB track record. Um, and, you know, of no fault of his own, he just hasn't had the opportunity. Um, so two similar guys, Tucker and Marte, who are, who are on different trajectories in their career. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and for that reason, I would go Tucker over Marte. But honestly, like I said, neither before with uh, Bundy and Paddock. I'd be happy with either one of these two guys uh, where they're currently going. Right. I would agree. Uh, Demarte has been a staple of uh, like a, a, a foundational block for a lot of my team builds in previous years. Cause like you said, he's consistently putting back way more value than, than what he goes for in the and, draft. And across all five categories. Like right. It's, it's so, right. so useful. Um, at around ADP 6970, we have Austin Meadows and Hura. Who, who would you rather? And also what do you think about their, um, those prices? Yeah, so I mentioned I finished last place in AL Tout Wars. Uh, my <laughs> most expensive hitter was Austin Meadows. So, wow. uh, that, and again, like started with COVID, um, hard to find any replacement level in an AL only league, yada, yada, yada. So PTSD for Austin Meadows. That said, um, you know, we kind of hit on like, you know, these guys are humans and who knows what's going on behind the scenes in the kind of COVID shortened season, that sort of thing. I think, I think I'm pretty much totally willing to give Austin Meadows a pass for 2020 just because he did not start off on the right foot, had the COVID diagnosis, had symptoms, um, and then got thrown into a sprint season. Like that's really, that's a lot on a kid who is, is still pretty young. Um, so I, I think Austin Meadows, I, I'm buying the kind of not extreme regression, but I'm buying a regression rebound in the, in the positive uh, sense with Austin Meadows. If, because I'm willing to give him a pass for 2020. Um, in terms of Hira, I just need to see more uh, hit tool in the majors. Like there's way too much swing and miss for Keston Hira. Um, he does not look good in the major league level, despite having kind of the excellent power and pretty good speed. I just, there's way too many whiffs there for me. So I'd go Meadows over, uh, over Keston. Nice. I like that. One last pairing, Max Kepler. At ADP 166 versus Dylan Carlson in the same range. Uh, I'll go Kepler um, just because he's a little bit more stable and still at that point in the draft, I'm trying to, I'm trying to buy stability. Um, right. Carlson did look, you know, decent in, in his, uh, in his debut, but he, you know, he's got kind of the skills, but there's just some major batting average holes with Carlson, especially like 
when you're making that transition from the minors to the majors, those holes get exposed when you when you face major league pitching. So yeah, Carlson hit 200 with just a steal and three homers and 110 at bats. Like I don't think he's that exciting uh, short term. Uh, the long term ceiling is obviously huge with him, but I think given his profile, given his kind of um, propensity to strike out, that learning curve and that transition to major league pitching is going to be a little bit longer than it takes for some other guys. Gotcha. Yeah, I would agree. The second time around, he looked a lot better, but uh, Austin, but um, it, I, I agree with you at that point in the draft at 160. I'm not speculating yet on possible skills. And he, he went, uh, what he, I think it was around 200, 220 this year. And I don't think that jump uh, was anything um, that he showed was worth making that jump. Yep. Um, so when you're drafting, you know, some criminal sins of playing fantasy baseball is either not preparing enough or uh, letting, you know, the ADP just really guide your picks. And I wanted to know what you think is the more harsher crime. It's tricky because there's so much. <laughs> they kind of guide uh, each other, right? Yeah. Exactly. You, I mean, and we're already prepping for 2021, listening to podcasts, all that kind of stuff. And by the time, it's funny, like, especially last year because the, the preseason was so long. Like, you could – legitimately listen to every podcast and have a good reason to draft every single player and a bad reason to draft every single player. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. Like it, it's so saturated in preseason analysis. So um, I think the bigger crime is not preparing enough. Like I think you need to be prepared and have a plan to go into your drafts. I'd rather be oversaturated in, in information than unprepared for right. sure. Um, and I, I think we got a listener question, I think from Lucas, uh, on, you know, kind of that group think and, and, and right. you know, letting the majority guide your, your pick it's, and it's kind of some tricks to combat that what I do. And, you know, I, I listen to, I listen to, you know, as much as I can out there, but I do have my own kind of little system where I won't draft somebody on my draft sheets who I haven't actually flagged either as a one, two or three, like a one, a guy I'm super high on. A two, um, worth it at the price, and a three, a guy I'd be willing to take. If I haven't flagged a hitter as a, or a pitcher as one, two, or three, I'm not taking them. Um, so I kind of try and – and a lot of people have, have done this as well – try and kind of filter down the draft pool in terms of just guys who you would take and not letting the group think or the kind of the, the helium on some of these guys guide, guide your, your draft majority. So um, that's kind of one trick that I use. Um, group thing can be beneficial sometimes because right. you, you know, there are so many players out there that you're going to miss things. And I hear things all the time, little tidbits, listening to podcasts that I haven't picked up on. So I'll say, Oh, that's interesting. Uh, you know, someone changed their stance in September and, and, and did this just as an example, like something I wouldn't normally pick up on. Um, then I'll go back and reevaluate that player and see if I want to flag him as a one, two or a three. Um, but then group thing can also kill you. Like, I mean, we look at the main events in 2020 and uh, the closer inflation, if oh, you, man. Uh, if you bought into that and obviously picking the right players is always, is always kind of trumps any draft strategy. But if you bought into that group, think of, I have to take an early closer in 2020, you know, odds are you had a couple of wasted picks in the first 10 rounds. So yeah, it can, thank it you. can go either way. That, that definitely was, uh, I fell into that in the, in the main event this year, I, especially, I especially like I drafted Chapman. So it was a closer who just yeah. got COVID, but, and then I saw him like squatting 800 pounds in a video. And I'm like, this guy, back next week. yeah, COVID's not going to beat this guy, you know? And it was just, yeah, that was exactly. Yeah. And I think that, that was the a Brandon Workman, Edwin Diaz combo in my main. So Diaz uh, was good, but didn't get the saves. Right. He didn't. 
He didn't. And I, I, you know, and that's the way I approach most drafts is I don't really like to invest so much in the, in the closers, you know, um, too early and go for those uh, Kinsler, you know, Melanson types later on. Um, And I did that in the DC. I did it well. And, and the main, I just didn't, I just, uh, I got sucked into it. And I'm complete example of that. Thanks for bringing that up. (laughs) Hey, you won the overall draft champions. I got to bring you down somewhat. Yes, bring me down. Good. I need it. I need Keep it. you hungry. <laughs> I'm hungry, Brian. I'm hungry. <laughs> um, all right. So actually, one more question before um, we get into this little draft. I wanted to see if there was a hitting or pitching profile that we think we're not valuing correctly. Um, so, for example, I was thinking about the, or if you have anything else, but for me, I'm always trying to evaluate the, like, the swing and miss profile, like the guys mm-hmm. with elite you know, con- um, you know, crushing the ball when they hit it, but or have a tendency to swing and miss a lot. And I kind of think that we undervalue it, but um, I just wanted to see what you think, if there's a, any type of player that, or, you know, group of players that we think we're not valuing right. Yeah, uh, I'm totally with you there, Rob. I think just personally, that's a type of hitter profile that I haven't been in on. Um, the kind of the swing and miss, but the sexy power speed upside. And that's something this offseason that I need to go back and reevaluate myself. Like, why were so many people in on, I keep going back to Teoscar Hernandez. Why are so many people, why were so many people in on him? And what, what went right with Teoscar that I did not see? Because I was not in on, on Teoscar at all. I saw the contact rate and was just totally out. And I got burned by that uh, just because, you know, I did not reap any rewards. Um, so that's a kind of a personal type of profile that I need to uh, adjust a little bit more and kind of embrace that swing and miss, especially the way the game is going with strikeouts increasing all the time. Um, that's something I need to recalibrate. In terms of kind of the general industry, and I touched on this before a little bit, like the walk rate stuff. Um, if you're playing general five by five roto and you have a guy who has like a 15% walk rate, just think about like when you're following these guys in midseason, like when you have your hitter up to bat, and you're rooting, you know, there's guys on base or whatever, you want a home run, a hit, whatever, and that guy walks. Like, how do you feel about that? I'm, I personally feel like, oh, that's kind of a wasted opportunity. <laughs> like, maybe he'll steal second, but probably not. So I, I think the kind of the plate discipline um, in the plate, not discipline more so the plate patience and the walk rate stuff, uh, while it's a good tool to evaluate prospects and, and young players and long-term um, kind of play control. I don't think for short-term analysis that using walk rate is, uh, is, is all that beneficial. Um, again, unless it's like a speed guy where getting on base can lead to, to fantasy value. So that's, that's one thing that I kind of, I look at and, um, don't always agree with. Right. I, I think you nailed the two by talking about the, the trend of the actual game, you know, uh, it's pretty important yeah. to pay attention to that. And because, you know, profiles will change according to what the game is showing us so yeah i'm definitely looking into that too um i found that um a lot of my teams were um i i like focused on average and speed in the short season and but i felt like um and also i took a lot of the power speed guys but i think they ended up dragging my batting average down further than i wanted to but still remaining i guess you just got to pick where you want your points and you can't have it everywhere but it's definitely something i want to dive into more um that profile because i think we are undervaluing those type of hitters um all right so i just want to do a quick little draft we're going to pick three guys a piece 
and using um, the HQ uh, expected power index. Um, so anyone who had an under 75 and we're picking only for home runs for next year. So we're going to prospect on some, some power for next year, even though there's a couple, you know, pretty uh, decent guys on the list. Um, so go ahead, you go first. We'll, we won't snake. I'll just, it'll come back to you after I pick. Yeah. Um, and just a little bit of background. So XPX or expected power index is kind of like essentially barrel rate before barrel rate was cool. Um, <laughs> you take the, it's basically the percentage of plate appearances that are result in a hard hit line drive or a hard hit fly ball. So again, we, we've had it around at, at HQ for quite a while now, white, you know, way before the stat cast era, so to speak. Um, and, you know, Rob, you mentioned 75. So XPX is always scaled to league average. So 100 is always league average every year, no matter what. So it's a quick, easy way to kind of look at someone's raw power and see how they relate to the rest of the league. So like a 75 XPX, which is our filter here, um, is a hitter who was uh, below league average and by quite a bit more, like more yes. than a standard deviation below league average uh, at 75. So my first pick, um, I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna go Vlad Guerrero. I, I just Ooh, think Vlad nice. Junior. I just think there's so there's two things that go into home runs, right? Hitting the ball hard and hitting it in the air. One of those two is a lot easier to correct than the other. Hitting the ball and doing a launch angle tweak is a lot easier than just suddenly becoming an excellent power hitter. Like I think the ability to hit a ball hard is a skill that you know, is very sticky year to year, whereas someone can take that launch angle and change it. In Vlad Jr.'s case, he hits the crap out of the ball, um, but it's just on the ground more than 55% of the time. So um, right. in terms of home runs next year, like it will, you know, and that's one of the cliches, launch angle two week away, but, uh, but in Vlad Jr.'s case, it is. Like the hard contact, the raw power, the prospect pedigree is there. He just needs to elevate. And again, that's a tweak that can be made a lot easier than, um, just suddenly becoming a power hitter, which is not easy at all. Right, right. And thank you for going through the uh, the PX um, explanation. Um, I totally, uh, I think this is a very, one of the most powerful tools that you guys offer. I think it's, it's total. I love looking at that. It's because it's, like you said, it was battles before it was battles became, it was, you know, hard hit line drives and, and home runs. And I love looking at the differences and what they showed and what expect, like what was expected, because you could definitely uh, find a lot of uh, untapped power that way. Um, yep. and, and we put it, we put in our forecaster boxes for every hitter. And right. one of the go-tos that we do when we're evaluating hitters is we compare that XPX with like a homer to fly ball rate. And if there's a mismatch between those two, let's lean on the actual skill of hitting the ball hard with that trajectory over the result of a home run. So yeah, just a Beautiful. little, little aside, no, one of my you, favorite metrics. Absolutely. And well explained too. I love it. That's exactly, um, it's, you know, you always see the metrics. You don't know what goes on behind it, all of it, you know, some of it, maybe not all of it. So that was a good way to break it down. And um, I'm glad you took Vlad. So now I don't have to think about taking him. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm not, I'm going to go with, um, as my first pick, I'm going to go with Gleyber Torres. Uh, it was between those two. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go Torres there. I think um, even though he, he's not a type of guy, he's not a guy I, 
I, I target in, in regular drafts either because he was one of those guys like Mayberry, um, Babs. He, he, he was just a guy whose skills you, you were able to grab later in the draft, like especially this year. Like he was, I had him grouped with like guys like Justin Turner and Mustakis and a similar skill bucket. And Mustakis was going 80, 90 picks later. I just didn't understand. You know, it's, it's the Yankee hype too. I think he gets mm-hmm. right. You know, I, I think it gets the Yankee tax a little bit, but uh, yeah, I'll go Glaber for this uh, contest and hopefully uh, he can pick it up next year. Who do you got next? Yeah, Glaber was definitely one of my faves, but he's not this bad. So um, good call. <laughs> um, next, I'm going to keep in New York. I'll go with, with, with your side of the coin here. I'll go JD Davis mm. kind of for this, for the same reasons uh, that I took Vlad, like man, 24% fly ball rate for JD Davis this year. Um, that is why his XPX is so low because he's, you know, you can't have a hard hit line driver fly ball if you hit the ball on the ground. I mean, that's simple stuff, but um, that's what really hurt uh, JD Davis. So he was a stat cast darling before the season. You look at the kind of the, the 2019 barrel rate and even the Homer to fly uh, rate in 2020 was 19% and it was 23% in 2019. So the raw power is there similar to Vlad uh, kind of echoing what I said there is, um, just hit a few more fly balls, JD, and, and you'll be back up there. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, I definitely had a Met fan too. And like you notice, he he was a you know stackhouse darling. So um, pound you like pounded the ball into the ground. And uh, even though his his you know his like max EV went down a like a bunch, it's it still uh, uh, I still think it's a profile. Like you said, you know, got to really kind of combine like the you know his overall. Sc- you know, uh, 2019 as well. Can't just throw that out. Um, yeah. I hope yeah. so. Cause, uh, I mean, look at, and not to harp on it, but look at like, I mean, Eric Hosmer forever was a ground ball hitter. And then, right. uh, fly ball rate was always like 20, 25% this year, 34%. The hard contact was there. And now all of a sudden, um, you know, he made that change. So anyway, that's just an example of, uh, of that tweak working out for some guys. I love it. I love it. I'm going to go here with my next pick. Um, he had a pretty shitty year, but I'm going to go with Avisel Garcia. Um, I just mm. think his mm. bow rate and his max EV was pretty stable for uh, a couple of years. And this year, it was, a, it, was a hard, it was a hard downturn in that he still kept the ball up. Um, he didn't hit the ball on the ground too much. Um, he, he swung and missed a lot. But um, I still think it's uh, a profile that can rebound and hopefully um, – Give some. I mean, I think a lot of guys were on him this year. Uh, he showed he showed that he was going to be worth a, a pretty good pick, and he just he just uh, he went down pretty hard this year. He was but, one of the guys. I'm glad you bring that up because, like, I took him in my main and just kind of plugged him. You know, left him in there, set and forget. And then I remember, and this is a mistake on my part. Like, didn't really pay attention to what he was doing. And I remember, you know, six weeks into the season, I look at Avi Garcia's stat line. I'm like, what in the hell? Why has he been in my lineup the whole year? Um, and just, uh, just a reminder that, like, you know, someone you think you just always keep checking the stats and see how they're doing because I should not have had him in for as long as I did. And that's something that we touched on um, with uh, Toby and Bubba um, that Toby was saying, you know, he was, it's one thing he has to improve on is in season, like looking at the stats and, you know, yep. Like yep. you said, we're, con- we're spread out into many leagues and we're just looking at, you know, fab, fab, fab. And yep. sometimes it's not really uh, a good enough assessment of the team. And like you said, 
uh, or you needed a hot start too. the one, you know, first week or two, a guy gets smoking hot and you leave him in way too long. Um, yeah, that's a great you point. You just cognitively think of that guy as a good player and he started hot, so he's producing. And then you look a month later and it's like, ooh. Yep, so absolutely. Good. All right, what do you got for your last pick? All right, next one's a little bit more of a prospecty side, but really like what Alec Bohm did in nice. his debut. The hit tool is, is fantastic and showed through. Um, but only at a 73 XPX, uh, similar type deal, a heavy ground ball rate for Alec Bohm. Uh, our prospect guys at HQ do just a fantastic job. And um, Brent Hershey, our editor, is, is a Philly guy and had, had eyes on Alec Bohm a lot. Um, really loves the tool. We've, we've got him as a, a 30 homer hitter at maturity. So that could happen as soon as next year. Um, so an impressive debut for Bohm. Uh, but that I think could get even better in the power department. Obviously, the 338 batting average that he put together isn't going to hold up. But I think while that batting average regresses down a little bit, um, we're going to see some more power out of Boom. So it'll be my last pick there. I like that. That's a great pick. That uh, definitely had him noted. He did uh, have, yeah, yeah, I think he, just watching it at bats too, you know, there's always something to, I just love, uh, you know, I'm not like a scout by any means, but I've watched enough baseball and I just love the way he, he has that bat. He looks like he's confident and knows what he's doing up there. And that's yep. definitely, you know, it's, that definitely counts for a lot. Um, and it's, it's the type of profile too, that like, you know, I talked about Dylan Carlson earlier, where it's like that swing and miss plate discipline issues don't translate too well, at least immediately in the majors. Whereas like Alec Bohm, that hit tool, man, uh, right. almost a seamless transition. So. Anyway. Right. He was pretty close to me in um, Lakewood cause I'm in Jersey and um, I missed seeing him there because I think he was there for like a, three games and then he got moved up and I was like, all right, well, I missed my chance to do that. <laughs> um, sorry. So my last pick, I'm going to go with, uh, uh, this is a tough one here, but I'm going to go um, with Jonathan scope. Ooh. Yeah. I think he, uh, he had a little bit of an elevated ground ball rate this year, but um, I don't see anything else that really changed from his, you know, um, his profile and consistently in that 20 home run range. So um, just going with that, I'm going with scope. Scope's interesting, man. Like I had a lot of Jonathan scope just because he was so, I mean, 360 ADP and right. he's not the sexiest player out there. Like he's not going to deliver. I know he had that big year in 2017 hit almost 332 homers, but um, you know, he's not going to deliver that breakout again, but that late in the draft and it came through this year. I mean, he hit almost 280 and eight homers like, not fantastic, but plenty of value where he was going. And uh, yeah, that's a really good pick. I'm surprised his XPX was so low. Me too. I was like, and I got to look at, that's interesting. Right. There was just bringing up this list. There was uh, a bunch of guys that I was um, pretty huh. interested to see on, on the list. Uh, you know, Josh Bell, another guy yep. that who knows where, where he went. I mean, he, he admittedly, you know, said that, you know, he, didn't he couldn't respond to less fastballs he so i don't know when someone comes out and said they they've really struggling with making an adjustment and then they're in the major leagues it's kind of like troubling but uh hopefully the pirates i think the pirates wanted him to do well so they could ship him off so i got a couple of twitter questions here and um we'll um we'll call this a show so first question is from uh phil Dusso. He wants to know, how do you manage your job, the forecast, the fab, <laughs> life of the young kid, and being a guest on podcast? And then you, of course, responded, you're selling me short. We're renovating the house. We just bought two. 
That's right. He left he left one thing out in his question. It's probably the biggest thing. My wife and I bought a hundred year old house last month and for some reason thought it was a good idea to fix it up during forecaster season. So <laughs> um I don't know. I, I always I always subscribe to the belief that the more you have to do, the more productive you are. Um wow, you just kind of get in a groove and you just keep going. Like I've had times where I haven't had as much to do before kid and house and all that stuff. And I'd kind of just veg out and sit on the couch and not do anything. Um, now I have plenty to do and I just, you know, I just keep going. Uh, it's all stuff I like to do. So obviously writing the forecaster is, is a passion of mine coming on talking about, you know, just talking baseball with you and then, and, and on other podcasts is stuff that's fun. So it's, you know, I love hanging out with my kid and I like working on the house. So, um, again, kind of the more I have to do, the more I just keep going and coffee helps a lot. Uh, some, some, some booze, some booze at the end of the, at the end of the day helps a little bit too, to help me keep sane. But, uh, yeah, just keep, I keep going. It's never a dull moment around here. Right. I, I know, right. It was, it's an early recording. Otherwise we would have definitely shared an IPA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let I me, mean, let me, let me master my drywall first and then I'll do the. <laughs> I'm at noon, you know, which is kind of acceptable, but yeah, I know you're a little bit earlier. Over there. Um, so Phil has another question. He wants to know your take on Randy Arozarena and skills seem legit going back to a few years, but can he earn the full playing time with the Rays in 2021 or is he going to be limited to the five to 550 plate appearances like most of their players? Yeah. I mean, that's the Rays MO is uh, not giving everyone or really anyone except for kind of Austin Meadows last year, maybe. Uh, full playing time. And you look at the Rays, it's funny when Phil asked that question, like I went to the roster resource page and they return everybody except for one guy and that's Aaron Luke, a pitcher. So they return every single hitter uh, on their team next year. And yeah, who knows what's going to happen off season trades and that sort of thing. But that is a crowded outfield. You've got Austin Meadows, Margot, Kiermaier, Rosarina, and Renfro. Uh, some of those guys are platoon bats. Rosarina at least so far has shown he can kind of hit both ways. So that bodes well for um, him staying in the lineup every day. Obviously if he stays as hot as he has, or even a fraction of how hot he is, as he's been in the postseason, they'll have no choice but to keep him in. Um, but as I kind of mentioned earlier in the podcast, like this is kind of a Teoscar type profile where there's some swing and miss, but man, the raw power of the speed looks legit. Um, Rosarino was a pretty highly regarded prospect out of Cuba when he first signed and just had that, kind of tough adjustment year in 2017, 2018, where, um, again, you look at these guys, not to get too far off, but you look at these guys as kind of humans and someone making that adjustment, a young kid, early twenties going from Cuba to the U S like there's a lot going on there. Um, uh, did not do too well. His first two minor league seasons broke out in 2019 and then break out in 2020. So, um, I think a lot of what we're seeing out of a Rosarina is legit. The problem is, you know, the market is smart. And he's going like 116 ADP. So am I willing to take him that high um, ahead of like uh, just some guys around him? We talked about Buxton earlier, Alec Bohm, Chris Bryant, Correa. He's going with those types of players. Um, it's a decision we have to make. I'm not, not ready to say whether or not I'd do it at that price. But, um, right. but the skills are there. He's good enough. And if he keeps hitting, the Rays are going to have no choice but to uh, – keep them in every day because I don't, I don't think there's that platoon downside um, as there are with like a Hunter Renfro or a Margot in Tampa's outfield. 
You're hundred percent right because the profile and the minors didn't didn't scream that he was gonna need to be you know uh, platoon. So um, that's definitely going for. And then, but like you said, it's a crowded outfield and Margot. You know, you always uh, just needed to add that you know a little bit more power. And if he can tap into that twenty twenty range too um, for fantasy. But yeah, the the Rays will raise, but. Um, you know, maybe they just find another spot for him to play to. That wouldn't be a surprise either. <laughs> um, yeah, he's going to be backing up Mike Anino next year. So <laughs> Ellis, LSC at Ellis Cantu wants to know, what are your strengths that um, you might do differently than others that allow you to be competitive in leagues? Yeah, Ellis, great question. Uh, thanks for sending it in, man. I missed you at uh... – Really wish we could hang out again together at first pitch like we did last year in Arizona, but hopefully next year, Ellis. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, so the question on kind of what I do, and I think this kind of hurt me, not not to make excuses, but in the in the short season was like I'm I'm a little bit more of like a grinder in terms of Fab, where I, I actually I write a column every week for HQ that just looks at the schedule for the week ahead on the hitter side, mm-hmm. and just trying to kind of chip away and maximize at-bats based on matchups and games played for every single week. And that's been a strategy that I've used for the last few years now is almost kind of churning and streaming my last like couple of hitters on every team um, and kind of renting them for the week, depending on matchups. I think that is a strategy that really has worked for me in the past, but it is a strategy where it needs to build up over time and you need to grind and do that over a 26 week sample. This year, we only had nine weeks to do it. It was more of a sprint and you did not kind of get the fruits of that labor as, as, as much as you normally would in a, in a 162 game season. So um, that's on me, honestly, like I should have adapted to the shorter season a little bit more and kind of, kind of veered a little bit from that strategy, but it's something that I will stick with next year. Uh, fingers crossed we get a full 162 game season is to just chip away at those cheap matchup based hitters every week. And over time, you get the you really do get a bump in counting stats over a full uh, twenty six period fab. Right, I think you I think you nailed that too because I um, it's one thing I that hit me right in the face in in the main event. Um, definitely learned uh, that because I just looked at what people were grabbing every week and trying to you know go back and see other why why the guys picking these players up um, and. I realized the uh, the at bat maximization and um, you know parks and all that you know I think a majority of us kind of look at, but the really getting the at bats was uh, pretty pretty crucial. You saw I was listening to your, to your latest podcast, which is something you didn't even need on your draft champions team with that. Which is crazy, man. I mean, I when I actually oh, was no, crazy. Yeah, I just I, I I couldn't believe the like the difference in um, at bats until I actually like looked at it and I was like, wow, this this is wild, you know. I I, I it's hard to ask for that type of efficiency when I was six hundred away, six hundred at bats away from the leader, you know, two thousand three hundred and forty fourth in at bats. But when I broke it down to like run um, per per play to pan, uh, per at bats, it was like one forty sixth and. RBI percentage too was 15th overall, which is pretty, pretty crazy. But uh, I, yeah, it's funny, like an interesting just add on to that was that first pitch last year, there was a panel with uh, Derek Cardi who runs the bat right, um, yeah. projection system. And then next to him was Brad Coleman, who is a writer for HQ, actually former, former GM of the Reds. Um, 
and they were kind of going back and forth on their systems and uh and derek you know obviously is, is pimping the bat i mean it's a great system great project very precise uses a lot of different inputs and that sort of thing and coleman just snapped back with he's going to have his own system called the at bat and all it is is just maximizing at bats and he pulled up a graph of of main event finishers and sorting it by at bats and yeah there are kind of outliers every year uh, but in general there is a pretty good correlation between at bats and um and hitting overall standings at, right. at the end of the year so it was, right. it was kind of fun. i think phil uh so also had a, a tweet about that or um something on that too he showed the at bats for the top overall finishers in the main and it definitely was a huge difference um Gathering those at bats is something I definitely need to get better at, uh, especially on a week-to-week basis. And like you said, doing the grind. And um, it's it it's not an I don't think it's an excuse. I think it's a valid thing. You know, you you people have the specific method, and if you're able to grind it out and do that work, that that's that's an edge. And um, having that short season, maybe not enough time to really do uh, things you wanted to do yeah. through through Fab. Yeah, but um, good point, man. Cool. I think that's it. I feel better about it. You feel better? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I appreciate you coming on, Brian. That was, uh, that was awesome. Um, I think people are going to get a lot from this uh, podcast. And, um, you know, I I just love talking about, you know, the the Mayberry method and, you know, that approach to drafting. And I don't think it's, like, um, talked about enough because uh, I think that you know, people who play fantasy, yeah, I think there's so much obsession over – a lot of things that we really don't have a lot of control of. And um, this is, I think, great for even people who are just getting into um, fantasy and they just want to really quickly identify, you know, what what players do well. And um, it was cool to get to talk about it. And uh, I, hope, I hope some other people will carry some more interest in it and want to learn about it. That's what my uh, goal was, too, with this was, you know, get some more people to recognize that you don't have to be so perfect in your, you know, in mm-hmm. trying to rank guys, like you said, you know, 32 homers or 30, like we, we're really not going to be able to, uh, right. yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, like I said at the top, man, thanks, you know, thanks for having me on. It's just awesome to see you ascend and take kind of our methods and our principles at HQ, put those to practice and have a lot of success with it. And now you're doing your pod and writing and putting content out there. So, so kudos, man. It's, uh, it's been awesome to, to chat with you. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Like you, um, you know, I've told you many times, you're definitely my favorite writer out there. There's a bunch of, you know, like we said, there's so much good content, but um, especially with your hitter matchup columns and your speculator speculator columns, which is phenomenal. It's so funny. I always look back at the first one you wrote. um, I think it was 2018, the the like the beginning of the year, because someone in the commentaries wrote like. is this a is this a concrete change? Because didn't Ray write this? You know, and I and you know the, he came to bat for you, and you know you you held your own. A couple other comments after that, and it's been you know smooth sailing after that. One, like probably my favorite column to read. Um, I love it. So yeah, you know. it's funny. Yeah, and people get me and Ray confused just because Ryan and Ray like it's almost the same first name. <laughs> but yeah, that was funny because yeah, I mean the speculator was Ray's baby for at least ten years, and um, he he. I was fortunate enough to have him hand it off to me and I've, I've tried to keep that standard 
these last couple of years. So it's oh, been man. a lot of fun, man. Yeah. Yeah. Good ride. Keep it going. You guys are the best. Um, the whole gang over there. Hope I can get some more HQ guys on here and talk to me. Cause that would be great. Um, and hopefully, um, you know, I don't know what the plans are for the first pitch in the Florida, but keep me informed because, uh, you know, doing the main event, you know, I live right next to New York. I can go there and do my, do my Florida trip to uh, the forums would be ideal. So um, I wanted to make it to the last one because I put money aside for my winnings to go, you know, go to Arizona. And um, like I said, I got hurt too at the same time. So that wouldn't have let me go on. And then obviously, you know, uh, I missed that. And then Florida, I was like, I'm going to Florida. And uh, yeah, but this year I definitely want to attend as much as I can because I want to meet everyone in person and, you know, talk baseball like this all day long, which is kind of like a dream, right? That's what it really is. First pitch. Absolutely. And yeah, (laughs) the plan is to have first pitch Florida in the spring, you know, obviously uh, a lot can change COVID wise by then. Fingers crossed. We'd we'd love to do it. And obviously on social, just follow uh, baseball HQ and we'll have the the latest updates on that as we go. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. Tell people where they could find you as well. And um, you know, all the wonderful things you do. Yeah, just at Ryan BHQ. Um, this, like I said, this next month is just a lot of forecaster work. I'm, I'm trying to tweet out just some interesting things as I go. Uh, I put out a crazy little stat I found yesterday that um, Yusmiro Petit is the only pitcher with a three ERA and 115 whip in each of the last four seasons. So, like, I looked at that and I was like, what the hell? It's not the Grom, it's not Kershaw, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, just trying to put out little tidbits as I go in between forecaster boxes, drywall repair and diaper changes. <laughs> bloom boards too, right? And bloom, hashtag yeah, yeah, hashtag yeah. bloom boards. Those Just will be starting that. up in January. So nice, yeah. nice. So you can go back and see all a whole bunch of wonderful uh, tweets from Ryan on his uh, cool bloom boards. Um, so yeah, man, appreciate it. Uh, I definitely advise everyone to go out there, get the forecaster, um, get on baseboyhq.com, support uh, you and the rest of the gang. You guys are awesome. Constantly pushing the envelope, raising the bar to do, uh, you know, to help us in what we'd love to do and play this silly little game of fantasy baseball. Absolutely. Yeah, man. So I appreciate your time again. And um, yeah, we'll talk again soon, man. Thank you. All right.